Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our mission, to make government contracting better one contract at a time. Whether you work for government or industry, we're here to help you understand how the other side thinks. Today's episode is brought to you by Uninet. Use Uninet for all projects, people, and financials, or integrate seamlessly with other accounting and ERP systems. Uninet provides a single source of truth that removes the barriers to sharing real-time information caused by using separate business systems. As your business grows, it's very easy to unwittingly create information silos that cost you time and money. Uninet helps connect that information. Yeah, and if you have those silos, that means you can end up with different answers to the same question, depending on who you ask and what system they're using. Uninet breaks down those barriers and provides a single source of truth. Visit uninet.com, that's U-N-A-N-E-T dot com slash podcast to learn more. Or you can attend one of their upcoming Lunch and Learn events. February 23rd in Orlando, Florida, February 24th in Tampa, Florida, and February 25th in San Diego, California. Visit uninet.com slash podcast to register. Today's episode explains a very common contract type. Let's get started. Hey, Kevin. Today, we're going to talk about IDIQ contracts. We are. Uh, IDIQ, it's a specific type of contract that's often misunderstood or or partially misunderstood. And it's enough that uh, it can create problems. IDIQ is indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. And what that means is you don't know how many you're going to need or when you're going to need them, but you know you're going to need some amount, some minimum and maximum amount. So FAR time, for those of you reading along, it's FAR 16.504 is where this is all explained. Basically think of this as you take your kids bowling and they can put up those little bars that come up through through the, the gutters and that way the ball doesn't go into the gutters, right? So the basic idea is think of that image that you don't know how many bowling balls are coming down the lane, you don't know how fast they'll be going, but you know that there's going to be some bowling and it's going to stay between these bumpers. That's the flexibility that an IDIQ contract has. There's a requirement, get the bowling ball down the, aisle, down the lane, but how many times, how fast, that might be determined after contract awards. So it's, it's a fuzzy way to do contracts for some people if you don't understand it. I can live with that analogy. may not be completely right, but I think I can think through that. <laughs> Most of mine are a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> so this type of contract is used... And this is a far thing. It actually says when it is inadvisable to commit for more than a minimum quantity and contracting officers should only use IDIQs when there's a recurring need. So if you know for sure that you need a hundred of something and you know that you're going to need a hundred more later or 500 more later, but you're not sure you might need a total of a thousand or a total of 2000, this is a great time for IDIQ. You don't know. It's indefinite quantity. You're not sure exactly how many you need. So you don't want to commit for more than the 100 you need today, but you know you're going to go back for more. And this is different from a normal contract where you, I want you to give me 100 units. You give me 100 units. I pay you for 100 units. Contract is over. That's what a regular contract looks like. That's why this IDIQ is so different. That's a great way to explain it. We're in FAR 16504 still. It says you have a minimum requirement and a stated maximum requirement, and that's set by the CO and likely by the user's customer. And this is where it's where you have to use some some estimation, but it sets the quantity. Over some period of time, you're going to order a minimum and possibly a maximum, 
when those are going to be delivered is sometime between the beginning and the end of that period of performance. And do you feel all the flexibility on the government side? Yeah, all these examples we're giving of how this thing, it seems like it's wide open, and that's those bumpers. They can, those bumpers may be three or, three or four lanes wide, <laughs> and that's why you have to be careful, is understanding how far apart are those bumpers, because if you don't realize what you signed up for, again, I've seen it go badly. Now I'm understanding the full value of this analogy. Don't set the bumpers the whole width of the bowling alley. We'll talk about why you shouldn't do that later. <laughs> so no, that's two- funny. <laughs> so there's two main types of IDIQ contracts. There's single award and multiple award. Single award is just like it sounds like. You win a contract from an agency, from an office, And you're the only person that they're going to place orders with when they have requirements for whatever that contract is to deliver. So not necessarily a sole source award. You may compete to get that. But once you get it, all future orders for whatever that thing is go to you. The other kind is multiple award. And this is where the government selects more than one company to hold this this master IDIQ contract, and in the future, when they have a requirement, they release an RFP for a task order or a delivery order, and those who hold the IDIQs compete for that work. So the example of a single award, FAR even uses a reference to this, for advisory and assistance services. In other words, you have somebody who's kind of treating, you're treating them like your consultant, right? You, you as a government person, you hire a, a company to be your consultant, that would be something that, as an example, would be a single award because you don't want to have three or four different consultants who are all following different projects you have at different paces. You just want one point of contact, right? Compare that to something for a, a, a commoditized product or a software, uh, software maintenance package or grounds maintenance. More than one company could do it. All kinds of things like that that it makes sense to have multiple. So the contracting officer must determine whether multiple awards are appropriate as part of their acquisition plan. So you want to avoid having an awardee for the IDIQ who specializes just in one thing and then will win everything. So the rest are just just ride-alongs that that never really have a chance to compete, right? The RFP has to tell the contractors up front the the procedures and the selection criteria that the government is going to use for future task orders so that all awardees have a fair opportunity to be considered for it. One purpose of the multiple award thing that we're talking about here is you limit competition for future task orders, right? You've got the whole field of every contractor in the world that could ever bid on this. You do an IDIQ competition and you award a contract to more than one thus the multiple. In your world, ideally three, right, Kevin? Exactly. That's the magic number. So then if you have three contractors that have your IDIQ contract, when you release an RFP for a task order, you know you're going to get a maximum of three proposals. You know exactly who they are. All the other contracty stuff is already negotiated. You're really just competing for the work, the scope of that particular task. And those three companies will get better and better at serving you because they're laser focused on competing with each other. They know who their competition is. And from the industry side, that's kind of a neat thing to have. As you know who you're competing with, it helps you re- refine your strategy and actually do a better job of uh, writing a more targeted proposal. 
So let me tell you about Multiple Ward Gone Rogue. This is this is a horror <laughs> story that, unfortunately, it's not it's not just a single example. In in you and I's lives, we've seen it happen more than once recently that the government has conducted a competition to award multiple award IDIQ to limit that competition. Somewhere during the source election, things have gone awry, and there's been a protest. And the remedy that the government has chosen is we'll just award an an IDIQ contract to everybody that bid. So instead of limiting their competition and getting it down to three or five or even ten, the government goes through a giant competition and ends up awarding 30 or 40 contracts, giving giving a contract to everybody that that said I'm interested. So in the future, they're going to compete for task orders amongst that entire field. Why did they do the multiple award in the first place? They could have just done individual source selections every time a new requirement came up. So instead of instead of getting it down to where now it's really easy for the government to compete amongst the five most qualified people, it's wide open all over again. And so let, let me let me put the uh, the contracting officer hat on this one. This story for the contracting officers who listen to the podcast, this is the story that you tell to the lawyers and everybody that says, oh, well, we can just let everybody in. The answer to that, and again, we have a lot of people who listen who don't understand what actually happens. We're making government contracting better one contract at a time. The consequence of that is that you say, well, why do we bother doing this, this down select in the first place? Just wasted sure. tons of time and tons of money for zero benefit that it's only going to be more complicated in the future. And, and here's the other side, from the industry side, you could have as many as 20 proposals, 19 of which of those companies have no chance to win. And next time this big contract comes up, they're probably not going to bid. We're both pretty passionate about this one because it's happened more than once. And it, it's, it, it's mind-blowing that, that that's the answer. All right, off, off the soapbox, back to topic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> what factors should be considered when you're working on a, a multi-award contract, the acquisition phase of this right the so the scope and complexity of the requirement if this is a long term we have to develop something that's probably not the right type of thing for a multi-word contract the most common use of them is for what delivery of commodities or some type of of commodity service if that if that makes sense yeah I, m- more often than not we use it I- the term commodity is kind of thrown around, but something something that more than one company makes, something you're going to be buying on a repeated basis. Uh, we use it for equipment. We use it for – in the services lane, don't think in terms of commoditized service. Just think in terms of services lots of people could provide. So uh, management services, acquisition support services, maintenance, you know, all kinds of things. that they, they may not be a commodity. It may not be something you're going to find on Amazon, but it's something that more than one company can do. Yeah, in my so world, that, a lot of times it's used – uh, software development. You do the IDIQ competition to get it down to a handful of companies that have the resources to do the kind of development that you have. And as these small, smaller, you know, we're not talking many, many millions of dollars, but as these smaller tasks come out, you can maintain vibrant competition amongst the most qualified people through the multi-award. Yeah, the, the big key thing you mentioned there was it allows the ability to maintain competition thing that pops in my head is how do you know you're getting the best service? Well, if you've got three or four companies giving you their best shot every time, you as an agency, you as a customer know, okay, I'm not just winging it here. I'm getting, I'm, I'm benefiting from the market without actually having to go to the entire market every time. 
And one of the best ways to make sure that this competition is going to exist, I've, I've actually seen IDIQs where the government has said, as we go through, this is a five-year period, every year we're going to take a look and use an on-ramp, off-ramp kind of strategy where if we're not getting enough competition, we, the government, reserve the right to add more companies. Even though we already held the IDIQ competition, we may add more companies and give them IDIQ contracts so that they can compete against you folks that already hold one who aren't competing well right now. And also, if you got the ID, if you were awarded the IDIQ contract and you haven't actually bid or haven't submitted a credible bid yet, they will off-ramp you and end your contract for convenience and make their job easier because now they know that you're not going to submit any more proposals that waste their time or they don't even have to worry about you submitting a proposal anymore because you, you didn't prove that that you were what worthy of the IDIQ. Is that the right word? That's kind of mean. Well, you weren't you weren't using it, right? You you weren't uh, you know you're it, it's kind of like having a, a GSA schedule that you don't use. After a while, a GSA is like, dude, if you're not going to get twenty five thousand dollars worth of of revenue off of this, we're not going to pay to maintain it for you. So that's exactly. So back to the FAR stuff. When not to use multiple awards, the FAR gives you a list of when the contracting officer must not use a multiple award approach. I love it. Not shall, but must not. So if there's only one con contractor that's capable of doing this because it's unique or highly specialized don't waste everybody else's time with a multiple award number two on the list is actually the thinking part of that contracting officer job i know you love that kevin if the co based on their knowledge of the market can justify that a single award will give them more favorable terms and conditions including that price they should not use multiple awards. They're wasting their time. They're wasting industry's time. And the example here is if you the size of the contract, um, if you have a small business set aside and you know that the kind of companies that can do this, even though it's a small business set aside, it might be a large contract for small businesses. So it makes more sense to have what based on what you know about the companies in this market because you've done your market research, it makes more sense to just write a, a document that says we're just doing this as a single award IDIQ and move on. So use the thinking job. And again, I put this out there because I don't know if all contracting officers know about this part of the FAR that says based on your knowledge of the market, you don't have to have a multiple award. That's a big deal. And what's the third one? So next it says if the expected cost of administration of multiple contracts outweighs the expected benefits, you shouldn't use a multiple award. So if it's a low dollar value thing, it actually uses the threshold for simplified acquisition procedures as a, as a line. It's what makes sense for that acquisition that you're talking about. But if it's small dollars, these, it does take more time and energy to compete amongst multiple contractors when you could just place an award to one. Use that balancing act when you're making this decision, government. And lastly, there's the catch-all. Multiple <laughs> awards should not be used if they're not in the best interests of the government. So it's a wide open space. That's yeah, but back to the thinking part of the job. All right, here's a weird random FAR number. I know you love those too. <laughs> the FAR says that you can't award a task or deliver a contract that exceeds $112 million to a single source without head of agency approval. And they have to just write this in writing. Uh, and and meet certain criteria, but uh, 112 million. 
That's right. And it and it's it's really interesting how they picked some of these numbers. But the, the basic strategy here is at the bottom of this one too, it says, unless it is necessary and in, in the public interest. Which again, I, I I never had to write a justification based on that, but if you do, it's gonna be based on a hundred and twelve million dollar contract, because that's apparently some magic number. One twelve. Let's talk about why this matters. Why is this so important? IDIQ contracts are easier in some ways, and they're actually harder in some ways. But it's important because there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of IDIQ contracts, especially multiple award IDIQ contracts out there in the government contracting world. Yeah, I I would say if I had to pick a number, I'd say up to half of the dollars that I awarded were, were under some type of IDIQ, single award, multiple award, GSA, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, and there's some places that's probably all they do. Yeah, that's true. All right, let's get specific. Government side, why should the government care about this? This gives government agencies, offices, whatever, maximum flexibility in placing their orders. It doesn't commit you to, I need exactly this many at exactly this time. So it leaves it open. I know I'm going to need a bunch of stuff. I don't know exactly how much or when. Boom, IDIQ. It also limits competition. And what we mean by that is after the award is done, and you're down to three companies. So instead of having to put it out to the world, like we talked about a few minutes ago, you're down to just three companies, which speeds up the process. Right. Unless you cave and just award it to everybody that bid. And oh, then you're just let it go, be, man. Okay, I'll let it go. <laughs> <laughs> IDIQs, when done correctly, it, they make it really easy on the government to buy what they need to buy. You just place an order against an existing contract. Okay, give me 50 of those. Done. No justifications, no competitions. It's already done. And even if it's a multi-award, it's somewhat of a streamlined competition compared to a big source selection. Most of the documentation is already written. All of the how we're going to get proposals, what the requirements are, all the section M, section LE kind of stuff are already defined in the IDIQ. So you're really just saying, all right, bid like we already told you about on this requirement. And so here's an example of why this is important on the government side. This is a passionate one for me. So we had a company that won a contract for, we'll call them widgets, and they thought that the 1,600 widgets that we bought over the, that was the, the ceiling, 1,600 widgets is how many we were going to buy. It was a five-year contract. And we, in the first year, we bought 400 of these widgets. And they just did the math and said, okay, well, they'll divide by the rest, and they're going to order about 300 uh, a year for the rest of the contract. An IDIQ contract doesn't work that way, right? Now, you know that after listening to the last 15 minutes, but in, in reality, a lot of companies don't understand how that impacts their cash flow. Here's the point on the, the contracting officer side. I almost put these guys out of business because I did not <laughs> explain to them. Oops. Because they, they were going to go out and buy a building. They were going to go out and, you know, because and, and, they were thinking in terms of, oh, this 400 unit capacity, that's the standard. Okay, that was the initial surge. It's going to taper off after that, depending. And by the way, four years from now, who knows what we're going to need? You know, maybe there's an ISIS issue. You know, this, it's a, a lot of flexibility in these contracts. So make sure that your company understands it, but you as a government, make sure they understand what does your flow look like? Because it's, it's a contract admin exercise. You're, you're making sure they understand what this contract's going to look like for the next four years. Because when they call you out of the blue and go, oh, well, crap, I just hired two people. Now I got to fire them because you didn't order this. You're, just, you're wasting time having that conversation. You have that conversation up front and say, yeah, we did 400 this first year. We're probably not going to order more than 100 for the next, you know, I don't know, four years. That Now they know, as opposed to them guessing and guessing wrong. Yeah, and, this, goes, and it, 
it goes back to one of our regular themes, Kevin. It's it's communication, right? You can put together this great IDIQ contract that's going to give you lots of flexibility, and then mess it all up when the you you place an order for five hundred. The contractor's expecting future orders. You don't you know that those five hundred are actually going to last you a couple years, but the contractor's expecting that they're going to get another another order for five hundred soon. By the time you place the order, they might not be there to deliver it. So this is just that the communication and some some I've seen it done very, very well where there's a forecast and it's updated regularly and both sides know the expected flow and talk about changes to that flow. And I've seen it where IDIQs are awarded and then almost forgotten about until an order comes up and then everybody's surprised. So why should the industry care? It's your favorite part. <laughs> Industry should care because it makes it really, really easy for the government to buy from you. If you have an IDIQ contract that single award, all they have to do is place an order. Saves everybody time and energy and money. That's that's what we're always talking about here. You want the government to have an easy, easier time placing an order with you than with anybody else because that's the way that they'll go. It's a path of least resistance. And as a contracting officer, I love them because, number one, I still have competition. Number two, I can award quickly. If I have year-end money, I have a lot of things I need to get for my customer. Which ones are the easiest to award first? Well, the ones they already have a contract for. Right. I can get it's a little hanging fruit, right? Um, and, and the other side of this is that I know who the, the companies who are going to bid are. So think of that from the industry side. You know who your competitors are. I mentioned it once before here. The idea of if it's a multiple award, you know who your competitors are. Compare that to the commercial market where you, you may think you know, but I mean it's written down in this case. Three companies got the award. You know exactly who they are. That's, that's kind of a unique thing. Yeah, from the industry and, side, I know there's often requirements looking for a home. The government will have a requirement. They don't have time or don't think they have time to do a, a giant <laughs> competition to get this thing delivered. So they go looking for IDIQs that have the scope, the proper scope, to fit their requirement. And they will give the money to the the office that owns that IDIQ and say, put out a task order or place an order for this on my behalf. So in industry side, if you have these IDIQs with proper targeting and proper communications with your customers, you can drive work to your existing IDIQs and bring work that might not have been contemplated originally for it, but fits, you can bring that work to you, and the government will love it because they don't have to go through all of the usual mess of acquisition in order to buy it. They can just place an order because you already have the contract. It's like you just said, Kevin. And so the, here's the two other things to consider. Make sure that you don't overshoot what they're going to spend on your contract, like the story I just told about them almost going out of business. But then also make sure that you don't undershoot. I uh, had a contract for – it was an IDIQ contract. There was a lull about six months between orders and my contract specialist calls up the, the company and says, Hey, by the way, we're going to place this order. And the, the simplest description would be, it's almost like they were asleep at the wheel. They're like, what? We have a contract with you guys. It, so yeah, like you said, they're, they're sometimes, sometimes they're forgotten. No, <laughs> I remember the name of that company and yikes, I'm amazed they got a contract, but still the point is, you know, don't under assume that like, well, they're never going to call me. I got my first order and forget about it. Make sure you've, this is, this is part of the complex sale is you got to keep that relationship alive. You know, there's you have some responsibility to engage. So communication goes both ways. But I've seen both extremes, and you want to land somewhere in the middle. All right. So one more reason why industry should care. 
industry loves to trumpet wins, right? So lots of times companies win. Yes, we won a $100 million IDIQ contract. Well, that $100 million is the ceiling. And if it's a multiple award, you may never see a single dollar of revenue from that contract, right? You still have to compete for the work on the multiple awards. And for single awards, you may get the minimum order, which is $1 million, and never get the other $99 million. But it's important for industry to understand that there is no promise. That's the indefinite part. There is no promise in that of the value, but it does look good in a press release. And in order to manage these properly, make sure you're creating a flexible supply chain. And what I mean by that is the whole story of don't go out and buy a building, that's a fixed cost, right? Don't go out and hire a whole bunch of new employees, that's a fixed cost. The idea of what can you do to be able to to manage this on a flexible basis. And just thinking about that, we have clients that just having this conversation about what pieces of this process can we design that that are scalable up and down without a whole lot of hassle. If you're not having that conversation before you get the task order, that's kind of bad. If you're not having it after you get the task order, you're really going to be in trouble because it's going to blow up in your face. That's (laughs) That's a great place to wrap this up. Government side, remember, make sure the multi-award situation makes sense. Make sure this IDIQ thing is the easiest way to do stuff. And resist the temptation to mash all your requirements together in one giant IDIQ, like maybe for the entire command or something like that. It gets really complicated when you add too many unlike things to an IDIQ. At that point, you might be better off competing them individually. Industry side, know the difference. Know that this is not a guaranteed contract. Only the minimum is guaranteed. So for example... If in your contract, the letter after the year is a C, that's a one-and-done contract. If it's a D, which stands for IDIQ, then this applies. I know that sounds like a really simple concept. And and really the big thing for me is this, this flexible supply chain thing, is really understand that even if you were going after IDIQ contracts, you don't actually have one yet, that's a conversation that you should be having. And you know, building up the relationships with your supply chain so they understand what this looks like. Yeah, that's huge for me on the industry side. You have a contract there. The government will want to use an existing contract over having to start a new one. You can drive new work to your existing IDIQ contracts. Yeah, this is that 80-20 rule, right? The 80% process, 20% relationship. Well, getting you the IDIQ contract was a whole lot of process. Well, now that you got it and managing it correctly, there's some relationship. That's where the relationship is. All right, that's it for today's episode. If you like the CO Podcast, please tell a friend. We're all over LinkedIn and Facebook and Twitter. And we have a contracting officer podcast page on all three of those social media. And we also have a survey we've been putting out. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, We'd love to hear what what topics you'd like to hear. Uh, One of the best ways for us to create content that is helpful to you is for you to tell us what it is. (laughs) Create content like this. Send me your topics. Send them to paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. And in the meantime, have a great day. All right, Kevin, I'll talk to you later. All right, see you, Paul. That's it for another episode of the Contracting Officer Podcast. As always, if you have questions, comments, or complaints, send me an email at paul at contractingofficerpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.
it says must, not shall, but wait, I'm not even sure if it says must. Does it say must? The answer is this is a good one. This is funny. It says must to the best extent practicable, which is kind of like saying should. (laughs) But that's what it says. Just just putting it out there. So it says the the contracting officer must to the, the best extent practicable in parentheses. So it kind of, you know, deletes the must in, in a way. Anyway, keep going. 